You know, guys, when you get to be our age, finding the motivation to get back in shape can be hard. It's just plain tough to find a routine and to stick with it. Good news. FitBod is a fitness app that is anything but routine. It tailors your workouts to fit your life, your goals, your gear, and even your schedule, so you can avoid burnout. And FitBod helps keep up your momentum by mixing in different exercises, reps, supersets, and circuits. Best yet, FitBod has over 1,000 demonstration videos, so you can learn the right way to do each exercise. It's time to ditch the boring routines and kickstart your fitness journey. Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at fitbod.me slash Zabe. That's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash Zabe. Today on the Zabecast, Replay sends the premiere event in horse racing to the glue factory. Game of Thrones comes down the home stretch with coffee cup Easter eggs and random horniness. I'm in Milwaukee where the Bucks have a chokehold on the Celtics, and there's a new leader in the clubhouse when it comes to mindless virtue signaling. Bonus 1% Zabe is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! Oh, here we go! Monday, May 6, 2019. Thank you for downloading. And yes, this podcast was delivered on Monday. That's important for a couple of reasons. I'll get to it in just a second. But you are looking live at my hotel room here in Milwaukee, where I have been launching my new show on 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee. Available on the iHeart Media app or the iHeart app, I believe is all it's called. Uh, Search for it. Download the iHeart app and search for my name. Search for 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee. And you should be able to find it. That's apparently where the show is going to be streamed from. And apparently the podcasted version of that show will be available. Yes, the podcast was late. This podcast, the Zabecast, was late today. was not delivered on Monday morning like you're used to. You know, there's a good reason for that. I am still, almost two weeks later, (coughs) excuse me, coughing. I am almost, I feel like, over my bout with bronchitis. In fact, in the last 24 hours, I feel like whatever it is has been slowly creeping up my bronchial tract, has slowly been climbing out of the depths of my alveoles and other little... uh, airways in my lungs and it's right on the edge it's right on the edge of coming out in fact I have a feeling or a theory that I inhaled something and I'm going to finally cough it out in a matter of 24 hours if that's the case I hope to find out what it is probably a dead spider or some sliver of wood or uh An uneaten tic-tac. Who knows what's down in there? I don't remember a traumatic inhalation event in which it started everything. But I feel like I'm on the verge of just finally coughing it up for the last time. 
So I'm I'm battling that, number one. Number two, I have been quite a bit busy, not just with this edition of a new show, uh, but also with many, many sales calls with the sales staff here at 97.3 The Game, and I've been meeting a lot of great sponsors of the station, already existing sponsors, and some potential future sponsors. Great meetings, but they take an hour, two hours, midday. I'm getting a couple. I'm getting an hour of sleep here, an hour of sleep there. I'm shuttling back and forth between the hotel and the station, and I don't have my full suite of production capacities here in the hotel room. I've got my makeshift mobile studio, and I'm trying to make do. Trust me, you will get your four and one this week, four free, one premium. But first, let me just say this to a couple of people. Tweeter, Andy Krimmer. Andy, hi, how are you? I give you credit, Andy, that you put your name and what looks like a real profile shot to this tweet. He writes, I have a feeling the Zabecast is going to be the red-headed stepchild with this new gig. Was his pet project when he had free time, but I don't see how he will keep it up. Hashtag subscription canceled. Okay, hashtag fuck yourself, Andy Krimmer. Hashtag, I'm going to fuck, first of all, who knows if he's actually a subscriber. He might be trolling me, I don't know. But Jesus fucking Christ, could you cut me a little slack? And did you feel the need to go public on Twitter with a hashtag subscription canceled? Here, here's your five bucks back. In fact, if, if you are a subscriber and not just trolling me, and I'll have to find this out, I am going to instruct my webmaster, my digital guru, my marketing savant, Christopher Broussard of Edlutions.com. I'm going to say, you find Andy Krimmer's account, and you refund him every fucking nickel he's given me for as long as he's been a subscriber. Because I don't want him to feel cheated because I'm nearly fucking dead and a little bit busy right now. That's all. That said, Andy, it was great having you as a subscriber. Have a great life. Fuck off. Okay. I don't mean that. See, now I'm calming down just a bit. Andy's probably like, hey, whoa, geez, man. I, I was just saying he got a lot going on now. And it's the hashtag that did it to me. You hashtagged me, Andy Krimmer. Fucking asshole. Don't you hashtag me. Subscription canceled. Just cancel then. You don't need to go on Twitter. Oh, look at me. Subscription canceled canceled this is why twitter is so evil it it just gets the blood all angry tell you what and then there's this one from jhb4uk otherwise known as uk cat bbn sounds like he's a kentucky basketball fan ain't gonna be 70 hours or a minute ain't gonna be an hour to 70 minutes a day that's for sure slowly slowly less podcast time Then he'll just post interviews from his Milwaukee and D.C. shows, and then the premium Fridays only, and then nothing. How about this, UK Cat BBN? Fuck you, too! Get out! Never listen again! That's not going to happen. But thank you for guessing at what might happen. And then then there is this from Tom Schlegel. By the way... My next door, whoever is staying 
next to me. It's 9.35 p.m. tonight. i got to get up at 4.30. But for fuck's sake, this podcast is getting out. And my mother, God bless her, she's going to hear this. Mom, another reason why. Just don't listen. Call me, and, and I'll do a podcast personally for you. I'll do a suncast. I'll call you, I promise. Then there's this one, Tom Schlegel. Zabe, still waiting on a Zabe cast for Monday. Thanks for lying to your fans. Fuck yourself running Tom fucking Schlegel. Asshole. Dying here. Now I get a headache. Need to play the soundbite. Hallelujah. Holy shit. Where's the Tylenol? I'd play it for you, but I'm not in my home studio, in case you didn't know. Okay, serenity now. And with that, let's begin the podcast. (laughs) See, when I laugh, that's when it comes out. When I laugh, that's when it comes out. All right, let's start with this story. This This is a classic one. Bob Kraft has had his first charitable donation turned down because of the fact he got a rub and tug, allegedly, from Orchids of Asia Day Spa. Day spa. Here's what went down. This is a $100,000 contribution to the president of an organization that provides free schooling for children in Haiti. The president of that organization is a guy by the name of Patrick Moynihan. And Moynihan said, quote, the last thing I wanted was a donation from Robert Kraft. I could not be silent. I had to stand up. Are you fucking kidding me? Moynihan called the decision to reject reject Kraft's donation, quote, gut-wrenching. Yeah, because you're a moron is what you are. Because large donations are pivotal in sustaining the Haitian Project Charity and its Louverture Cleary School near Port-au-Prince. He said the $100,000 would have covered the expenses of an entire year for 50 children. Said Moynihan, $100,000 is hugely significant to us. I represent the needs of people who have have singularly terrible situations, a lack of assets. But, he says, and here comes the virtue signaling and the preening for the internet and social media. Despite all that, Moynihan said, quote, but we cannot do good by doing bad. The ends cannot justify the means. Oh, my God. So what are you going to tell those kids? Hey, kids, I had your tuition all set for a year. But you see, the owner of this football team went for a massage, and he got a rub and tug. And that's wrong. And I'm not going to take his money because look at me. Look at my feathers. I am the most virtuous out there. Get the fuck out of here. If this project, if this charity has a board of directors, they need to fire this guy's ass right away. Or just invoice him for the hundred grand. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Meanwhile, Kraft's lawyers are furiously trying to keep the tapes from coming out, and that seems to be still at a stalemate. Some description of what has been happening or what happened in that day spa has come out, but otherwise, um, nothing 
video-wise just yet. I think it's an uphill battle. I think it's one he shouldn't fight. Of course, he shouldn't have fought this from the get-go, but whatever. Meanwhile, on to other stories. Speaking of sex, Dateline Stockton, California. Meet Caitlin Fink. She's a high school student in Stockton who works in the porn industry. Yeah, I'm going to read that again. She's a high school student who works in the porn industry. Not a high school student who made a porno on her home camcorder. She's an aspiring professional. In early April, the school district tried to prevent the school newspaper from writing an article about one Caitlin Fink after it became concerned it might violate the district's obscenity bylaws. When the teacher, Kathy Duffel, who's over the paper, refused to hand over the article, the district threatened to take action. An independent attorney later found the article was not obscene, and the article was then published. On Friday, the subject of the article, Caitlin Fink, spoke about the controversy, saying, I feel like the district sees it as a taboo thing that should be swept under the rug, but it's really not a taboo topic. It's just a topic that people don't like to talk about because it makes them feel uncomfortable. Fink left home for good on New Year's Eve and began to support herself, paying rent, utilities, and phone bill, phone bills after finding work in the porn industry. Adult entertainers are not just objects. They're actual people. They have feelings. They have goals. They have motivation, she said. Fink says she makes hundreds of dollars for just a few hours of work, but just how that money is earned caused some people to get the wrong idea, she said. When people found out I was doing that, they assumed all these things about me, and I was like, oh, no, that's not true. So to set the record straight, she agreed to be interviewed by the school paper, The Bruin Voice. Once the district found out, they demanded to see the article titled Risky Business, Starting a Career in the Adult Entertainment Industry. And after the teacher refused to follow the district's demands, a battle started amongst the lawyers. Anyhow, it got resolved. They wrote the article. She's spoken about it. Fink says she's got no plans to slow down and hopes to become a model. She says working in porn allows her to enjoy compliments about her looks. I like the positive attention I get from it, she says. Even though I know what their intentions are, it's still nice to know that they think that about me because I don't believe it sometimes. Oh, Lord. This is every parent's nightmare, especially parents with daughters. Now, the tough thing is this. As a libertarian and as somebody who believes that, yes, uh, commercialized sexual imagery, porn, etc., is something that will never be fully rid of in society and has a legitimate marketplace, on the other hand, it is an absolute terrible lure for children. I mean, you're talking teenagers with their brains still yet not fully formed, not even close, a terrible lure of what they think is easy money and what they think is a, quote, career. A teenager can't see past the age of 25. A teenager can't see all the other downsides to pursuing a career like this. It is generally advisable for any teenager, if they've got parents and those who love them, to aspire to something else, something a bit higher, something a bit more long-lasting, something that might have a bit more self-esteem to it. But as far as the article in the school paper, that's another interesting angle because 
On the one hand, hey, if it's a real story and the high school paper wants to be journalistically true, then you should cover it. On the other hand, if it in a way normalizes or glamorizes this road taken by Ms. Fink, then what if it entices others to do the same thing? And in fact, when I say what if it entices, hell, who's kidding who? You know it will. So that's a tough call. I uh, I wish I had a firm take on exactly should the student paper have printed an article about this or not, but I wouldn't want it to be my daughter's. I'll leave it at that. This is a good one. Dateline, New Jersey. Test dummies fall off roller coaster at Jersey Shore theme park, crash into hotel roof. Well, what? The vice president of a Jersey Shore amusement park insists that a roller coaster is safe. More than a week after two crash test dummies fell out of it and hit the roof of a nearby hotel. Oh, yeah. (coughs) Excuse me. There is no cough button here in my hotel room studio at damn near 10 o'clock getting you your podcast before I go to bed for five hours. Excuse me. This close to getting better. Oh, yeah, no, it's safe. Uh, Oh, no, boss. You know those uh those those crash test dummies who put in the roller coaster they flew out. They flew onto a roof of a building. I'm not sure I'd want to be in that car if I was them. Of course they now say that uh the two water-filled dummies had a leak in them and therefore they lost their typical shape and that caused them to quote fall. That caused them to f- sort of fail, I guess and to slip out of the ride. <laughs> yes, uh, the, uh, the spokesperson for the ride said the ride is 100% safe despite the mishap. The lap bar did not fail. Nothing failed on the ride at all. Yeah, but the dummies flew out onto a roof. So maybe something failed? Funny that they fill them with water. I'd like to see. There's not a picture of the actual dummy, but still. That's crazy. Dateline, Russia. Wow, this plane crash in Russia, the Aeroflot plane crash that killed 41, landing in a fireball as video rolled and survivors were seen scrambling off the plane. That's something else. I hate to say it, but it's sort of like really good aircraft disaster porn. I have watched so many specials over the years on commercial airline disasters, and I've seen pretty much all the great footage that has ever been captured, whether it's the uh, the DC-10 that tumbled and cartwheeled uh, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, I think it was. A number of people died there, but a number of people lived, which is frankly a miracle. That was when the jet engine blew apart and the fan blades severed the hydraulics so that the... Uh, uh, pilots had to lean on the controls and do a bunch of right turns because it couldn't turn left or something like that. Somehow got the plane down softly enough that it didn't kill everybody. And it was caught on video as it came in. There's that one. There was, I think, footage of a midair plane crash over San Diego once. I hate to say that I'm a sick bastard for this, but it's it's compelling. It's like, whoa, look at that plane. It's on fire. 
And it gets even worse. Apparently, there is one passenger, a so-called overweight Russian he's being described as, Dmitry is his name, it's like John, who was seen afterwards exiting the airport with a backpack in his hands after complaining to Aeroflot that he was mistreated and that he demanded a refund from the flight. Yes, Dimitri actually went and grabbed his bag before leaving the burning plane. Some of the survivors said that not only because he was overweight, but because he was getting his stupid fucking bag, he caused several people behind him waiting to get out to burn to death. I think just the fact that he has his bag, like, oh, hey, you were on the flight, huh? What are you doing with that bag right there? Because you shouldn't have that. It's the first thing they tell you on a crash. You know, leave everything behind. And I can understand if you're on a plane crash where you skid off the end of the runway into a muddy field and you come to rest and there's no flames and everything seems fine. Okay. You can maybe grab a purse or or a quick bag if that's the case. You still shouldn't, by the way. It's just a fucking bag. But this plane was on fire, and this fat Russian blocked the aisle, got his bag out, and then afterwards demanded a refund and complained to Aeroflot saying, I was mistreated. Wow. How about some baseball? Bryce Harper's been getting booed in Philly. Yes, I love it. That's the good news for Nats fans, if you are into the whole schadenfreude thing. And I don't know, I don't care that he left, but I do think it's funny that he's getting booed in Philly. Not that he never thought that would happen, but who wants to see their ex doing really well right away? You want to see him having some trouble, right? Anyway, Bryce Harper getting booed in Philadelphia, and now apparently a woman... Uh, a thirsty girl is sliding into his wife's DMs, direct messages. Kay Harper, his lovely wife, posted a screenshot of a thirsty girl who is just nasty, saying, hey, handsome, I'm Jordan. I'm just trying to be a stress reliever. Oh, God. And then she also put, Bryce Harper 3, are you feeling stressed? I have your solution. Who knows if it's a bot, though. I don't doubt that there are thirsty girls, grifters, groupies, and you name it, going after ballplayers all the time. In fact, I uh, recently had a conversation with somebody who is a female member of the media, female member of sports media, who was telling me about all the athletes who were, quote, sliding into her DMs. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Really? Does that, that guy, that really happens? He did? And she's like, oh, yeah. So it does happen. And in this case, Bryce Harper's wife made sure to uh, make her go viral. That might be what she wanted anyway. Who the hell knows? At least any fame is good fame when it comes to the thirsty game. Shall we talk some Game of Thrones? Oh, I thought you'd never ask. We're 22 minutes in, and you haven't gotten to it yet. I said it on Twitter. I say it again. I liked the episode. I thought it was sloppy and rushed, but I liked it because it had elements of the old Game of Thrones. It had sudden turnabouts 
It had some ruthlessness. It had a beheading. You could see it. There was a lot going for the episode. But it was sloppy in many regards, including the coffee cup Easter egg, which took the internet by viral storm on Monday morning. Yes, somebody forgot to remove a Starbucks or otherwise craft services coffee cup from the middle of a table in the castle at Winterfell during their celebration scene. That's what they're saying. In fact, the Game of Thrones creators said, oh, the, the, the coffee cup was a mistake. Amelia Clark had ordered a, a latte, or no, she had ordered a sweet tea or something like that, or a, or a hot tea. <laughs> I get it. It wasn't a mistake to leave it in. It was just the wrong drink. I know that there are mistakes made in so-called continuity all the time, and there are people on movie sets that that's their whole job, continuity. Not to met and that and the continuity job is to make sure, okay, uh, is everything the way it was between all these different shoots? Are the cigarettes that are being smoked the same length as they were in the previous shot? And stuff gets missed on lesser productions. I have a hard time believing that with all the eyeballs on Game of Thrones, nobody saw the coffee cup. I think either one of two things happened. Either they left it in there on purpose as a bit of an Easter egg to go viral. Ha, ha, ha. Look at that. There's a coffee cup at Winterfell. And I'd have no problem with that. Or it was in there. They didn't notice it at first. But then once they looked at the takes, they realized the specific take of the scene they were filming was the best one. And that they did not want to take that coffee cup out. Now, under that theory... You'd say, well, they just digitally take it out. That's not hard to do. Hell, it's a show with dragons in it. So I'm now starting to wonder what really went on. Maybe it was just a genuine oops. I still can't believe it, though. I actually stopped Game of Thrones, paused it multiple times at the end of an episode because I was stunned at the number of people and the number of credits that roll after every episode. There must be five hundred people credited on that show and that doesn't count those who don't even get a credit and i'm sure there's probably some that are in and around the set that don't get credit it they, they whip through them so fast after the episode you're like whoa 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 okay yeah fourth assistant accounts payable key grip gaffer electrician backup carpenter in fact i should read the actual credit titles in game of thrones Oh, God, please don't do that. It's enough that you're talking about the show as much as you are. Eh, Don't worry. Two more episodes, then we're done. And if you want, you can just speak up like Andy Krimmer did and see what you get right here from yours truly. So it was a sloppy episode. It was rushed, but I did love it. A lot of problems with it, including the whole tactical stretching of disbelief that Daenerys would fly her dragon so low and so obliviously that she would fly straight into an oncoming giganta arrow or uh, bolt, I guess it is, from the so-called scorpion or what was the term of that weapon? Uh, a ballista. Yes, that's what it is, a ballista. That she would fl- that one of her dragons, and it wasn't her that she was flying, it was her other one that would fly right into it because... They were just cruising around the mountains in the channel 
of one of the little tributaries of whatever ocean they were on. And oops, there's the Iron, the iron Fleet. Wow. Of course, that's not exactly... So the first thing I, that bothered me was, why don't you fly higher? Basic rules of air superiority is stay above enemy fire whenever possible. As you're getting a recon of, okay, what's going on? Who's where? Let's cruise up here. We've got air superiority. Let's see what's going on down there. Of course, Drew Olson said to me, yeah, but what's the hard deck, though, for Danny up there in terms of oxygen? I said fly around at 10,000 feet. Probably too high. 2,000 feet, I would imagine, is out of the range of that ballista. So that was number one. He should have flown higher. But okay. She's a girl with dragons. She's not Top Gun. I'll say that she made a mistake. The real problem is that she knew that the so-called Iron Fleet was waiting for her in the exact previous scene. In fact, here is one of the showrunners, I'm not sure if it's Benioff or Weiss, followed by the scene in which Varys explains to Daenerys, okay, we got these people here and these people here. These people there, you're over here. And they've got the big map, and they got the little chips or chits or the whatever you call them that shows that represent all the iron, the armies and the fleets and the troops. She was staring right at it. Here, don't take my word, take a listen. While Danny kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet and Euron's forces, they certainly haven't forgotten about her, and they're just waiting for her to come back. And the Golden Company has arrived in King's Landing, courtesy of the Greyjoy fleet. The balance has grown distressingly even. We'll surround the city. If the Iron Fleet tries to ferry in more food, the dragons will destroy them. I mean, that's pretty bad right there. I understand that the show is trying to wrap up eight seasons of storylines that stretch far and wide with dozens and dozens and dozens of characters. At the same time... You gotta tighten up just a bit. Somebody on the uh, somebody on the Twitter thread about this said, "Yeah, as soon as the showrunners got their three series deal from Disney, they're like, fuk it, this show's over. Let's just get it over. Let's go. Boom, boom, boom. Danny flies with dragons, loses one. Da 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 da." I also didn't understand why, as soon as they beheaded Missandei, that all-out war didn't break out right there. Another funny tweet was from Barstool Trent, who said, yeah, since I don't know the signal for shoot all those arrows, that was a really nervous scene where Cersei airs her hand in the air. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this could be it. This could be it. Is that it? Is the dead spider up? No, it's not up yet. It's close, though. I guess if they, you know, if Missandei says Dracarys, they lop off her head, it's war. It's on. It's going to be Mad Queen against Mad Queen. Dragon versus City. Why wouldn't you then, if you're Cersei, put the signal down to make little Tyrion a tiny little dwarf pincushion full of arrows? Could have been done. Of course, she had her hand, Kyburn, further out away from where they were standing. And so maybe it was like, all right. We're going to fight. We understand that. But let's be civil here, and let's let the imp walk back, and let's let Kyburn come on in. 
and then we'll get going. I also didn't like the fact that this was a part of King's Landing that felt like the back loading dock, as if to say, yeah, it's somewhere near King's Landing. They, 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 they digitally painted in a few building structures behind the wall with the big guns on them, but it didn't seem like they put much thought into it. It wasn't a place of King's Landing we had ever seen before. And then the open field out there was just, it's like, well, what goes on out here? Nothing. It's the loading dock area. A lot of parking. There's dragon parking in the back as well. Nerd! Okay, that's enough. That's enough Game of Thrones. Two episodes left. Two episodes, one dragon. That's it. Everybody knows the rules, as Portnoy would say. <laughs> Two episodes, one dragon. It's almost all over after that. And then I can bludgeon you with takes on the Deadwood movie which is coming out May 31st. Oh, yes, I cannot wait. All right, so let me give you my let me give you my take on the Kentucky Derby and the replay that overturned a winner for the first time in the race's 145-year history. I don't really care, but I do laugh that replay has fucked something else up. Oh no, I know, I know. It was the right call. So they say. It happens all the time. So they say. Watch the video angles. That maximum maximum leverage? I forgot the name of the winner already. Uh, was all over the course. The jockey clearly fouled and was running left and right. Whatever. Whatever. My answer is, my question is, so if it's the right call, why did it take 20 minutes? If it was so easy, if it was so obvious, it was so the right thing to do, why did it take 20 minutes? How come the stewards didn't answer questions from the assembled media afterwards? That's what makes it so fishy. That's what makes it so unsatisfying. Yes, it's very satisfying for those who bet the long shot, but otherwise, it was no way to end a horse race. And you could say, but that happens in horse racing. And I say, well, how come it hasn't happened yet? In 145 Kentucky Derbies, at some point there must have been a similar type foul that would have warranted, under these rules, a disqualification and would have changed the winner of the event. Had it happened. You could say this is the first time for everything. I don't know enough about horse racing. I don't care either. Some are saying that it took two minutes to realize, yes, that was interference, uh, but it took Oh, another 20 minutes to go, are we really going to do this? It took another 20 minutes for those in charge to ask all the people at Churchill Downs, are we really going to disqualify? That was like a $10 million, they say a $10 million loss uh, for the winning horse because of stud fees and, of course, the first prize. Something tells me the horse will still get a pretty penny when it comes to stud fees, even though it was disqualified. Because if you're trying to breed a little baby fast horse, with maximum, like, why do I keep saying maximum leverage? I got my headphones on. I can't think. Uh, what's the horse's name? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Pretty Pony. Pretty Pony's sperm is going to go for plenty. And he's going to be able to make babies. They'll make some money. It's the sport of billionaires anyway. Who cares? Oh, this person lost all this money. I'm also kind of done with the stories of, hey, here's a story of somebody who made a tiny bet on a crazy superfecta and won a nice pile of money. Headline, Kentucky Derby gambler turns $8 into $78,000 with, quote, miracle 
bet. Yeah, $8. The $8 bet was nothing short of, short of a miracle, says the Las Vegas sportsbook manager. The unidentified gambler, a regular at the Mirage, who watched the big race with his mother, won in a big way with two identical $4 superfectas that paid $51,400 each, or 39000 and change after taxes. Uh, maximum security. What was I saying? Maximum leverage? That's the name of the horse. It was a miracle, said Scott Shelton, sportsbook shift manager at the race book at the Mirage. Must have been a saint in a previous life running into buildings or getting babies to something for or getting babies or something for everything to happen for him to cash those tickets. <sighs> 78 grand. So what? Eight dollars. He would have lost eight dollars. Big deal. This still isn't close to the guy who bet eighty seventy eighty-eight thousand dollars on the Masters, Tiger Woods, and won $1.29 million. That, my friends, is a serious wager. So enough of those stories. couple more here, and then I'll wrap it up for today. If I've gone long enough for you people, I'm approaching 40 minutes. I hope that's okay. White Sox infielder puzzles Red Sox with pitches so slow, the radar gun ignored them. Sox second baseman Jose Rondon was called on to pitch the ninth inning of their 6-1 loss to the Red Sox on Friday night. He didn't come armed with a blazing fastball, a wicked curveball, or pretty much anything else. Instead, he puzzled the reigning World Series champs with an array of EFAS pitches that were so slow they wouldn't get pulled over for speeding on the highway. How slow, you ask? Some of them didn't even register on the radar gun. How come I missed the highlights of this? I need to see this. Ephus pitch. I had a kid I coached in Little League. The one year I coached Little League. Sweet kid, not very talented, but he had heard about, read about the Ephus pitch, E-E-P-H-U-S, which is basically a moonball pitch. You just lob it in there super high, and you have to have really good control for the lob to come straight down through the strike zone over the plate. Needless to say, this kid, when I was coaching Little League, uh, couldn't control his EFIS pitch to save his life, but he always said, Coach, Coach, I, I swear I could do it. Put me in, Coach, put me in. I might have let him pitch one inning in Little League, and I might have let him try his stupid EFIS pitch a couple of times. But that's pretty cool that Rondon was in there throwing EFIS pitches that weren't even registering on the radar gun. Suspects accused of taking $21,000 worth of panties from Victoria's Secret last month identified. That's a lot of panties. It was a woman as well. Oh, and it happened in uh, Fairfax County, Virginia. Although this says Cumberland County. Ada Melcado and a juvenile identified police were identified uh, by police during a drug investigation in Fairfax County, Virginia, on April 18th, they were found to be in possession of stolen merch from a Victoria's Secret store in Bethesda. Further investigation unco- unco- uncovered the same booster bags that were used in the theft at another mall, according to police. 21, 375 hipster panties valued at three $3,900, cut thongs valued at $3,900, 
a thousand thong thongs valued at ten grand, and two hundred and fifty raw cut hip hugging panties valued at two thousand six hundred dollars. That's a lot of panties right there. We'll end on this. This is an item I'd love to have for my collection, which I well not I don't have a collection. This would be a great collectible. But man, I don't have the money for this. The first moon landing manual used by Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin is up for auction. That's right. The detailed manual used by the astronauts on the 1969 moon landing is going up for bid. They think it could fetch up to $9 million. It's a 44-page ring-bound Apollo 11 lunar module timeline book detailing every procedure that was needed to undock, land, and rendezvous the Eagle with its Columbia command module when Armstrong and Aldrin became the first men to walk on the moon. Along with technical data, the book, which was carried aboard the Eagle, contains drawings and almost 150 check marks and annotations written in real time by Armstrong and Aldrin. That is pretty fucking cool. All right, that'll do it for me today. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you for your patience. Thank you for subscribing, and my God, if you want to cancel, please cancel away. But if you want to cancel and you're going to go hashtag cancel me on Twitter, then you can go fuck off because I'm playing hurt. I'm trying to deliver. I'm doing my best. When this all settles down, when I get into a routine, when I get into a flow, it's going to be all good, people. Just bear with me. Have some patience with your boy. That's all I ask. All right. Thanks for listening. I will see you next time. In the meantime, what am I saying here? What's my out cue here? Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. And we will see you next time.